0: It's the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour with Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, and Tyler Head on your home of the Gamecocks in Columbia, 107.5 The Game on 100.3 The Game in
1: Myrtle Beach and 100.5 The
0: Game in Florence. Welcome into the game Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Tyler, Wes, and Chris along with you on this Wednesday morning. I had this debate with Colin earlier. We are halfway through the week, but do we say we're halfway through the bye week or is that not until Saturday when you're actually halfway through playing till you get to play your next game against Florida?
2: Mm, halfway through the week.
0: So we're officially halfway through the bye week. <clears throat>
2: I would say even more, actually, if we want to really get into the weeds, Tyler. I mean,
0: if you want to over like, percentages, we're like 50, what, 55% of the way through the well, week Well, and or I something. say that
2: because th- the schedule changed up this week. So, normally... That's true. Game week, you have Tuesday, Thursday... Er, I'm sorry. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, practice. Yes. Friday, walk through Saturday, game. Uh, by week, Shane Beamer changed it up. So, they've got, instead of their day off being Monday, they have Monday, Tuesday, practice, today, practice. Yep. Then they'll have some days off. Everybody gets some R and R. Lots of guys in the treatment room, obviously. Definitely. And then you get back at it next week, and and Tuesday will be your first like Florida prep practice. So really, they're they're almost done this week with practice, basically. So I'd say they're a little bit farther along even through the bye week.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the the big thing with bye weeks um, is just I think it's two ways, two things bringing along your, your young guys, and maybe you get them a few extra reps. You know, we we keep hearing, obviously it's a huge discussion, wide receivers, and, you know, people are begging for, for, for more Nick Harbor and, <laughs> you know, Beamers talked about, hey, we, we need more from the wide receivers. And so I, I think you can bring guys along a little bit quicker during a bye week because of the fact that you're not preparing for an opponent. The other part of it is just the obvious, and that's get guys healthy. Uh, sit guys as much as possible. We talked about it yesterday. It, it maybe isn't your guys that are sort of more long-term. You're not going to just magically wave a wand and, and then be ready to go, but I think your guys that are playing through stuff, which is kind of everybody to an extent right now, you can really use this week to, to kind of refresh. And, and then just having Thursday, Friday, Saturday off. I think is is a good mental break as well, considering the opponents that South Carolina played through five games and how tough this schedule was. And you're sitting there two and three. The fans are kind of bearing down on you a little bit now. And, um, you know, people have forgotten that South Carolina started slow the last two seasons and and turned it around. So I I think for for just a, a mental reset can be very, very beneficial as well.
0: Well, it's also beneficial. You have your bye week this week. Florida does not, of course. Florida always takes this bye week the week before the Georgia game, so you get the opportunity to watch them this weekend. You know, see them take on a Vanderbilt team. They'll most likely win that game, so I don't think they're in in danger of an upset or anything like that. But um, get a little uh, learn a little bit more about Florida, a team that's been pretty up and down this season. Again, they lose to Utah. They beat Tennessee pretty handily, and then get waxed by. Kentucky this past weekend, so kind of in a similar way, uh, these two teams are very similar in the fact that you don't maybe don't, don't know everything about what they can be as they've been kind of up and down through the first five games of the year.
2: Are we sure, Tyler, they're not on upset alert?
0: Do you think they are?
2: Look what happened last season. That's true. Vanderbilt won that football game. I mean, now Florida wasn't a great team, but they're not a great team this year. I mean, I we're still... I think they're better than they were We're still year figuring ago. it out. Sure. But... We know they're not at, – at the bare minimum, they're inconsistent. Yeah. Vandy, I mean, are they about the same as last year? I, I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns about this team. I don't know. Commodores won last year's game by seven points. Florida had a first-round quarterback at their disposal last year, as up and down as he was.
1: I don't know. Van, Vandy ain't winning this game. I would have said the same last year. But it, I think at Florida – True. No, no Ray Davis for Vandy anymore. <laughs> That's true. That's I mean, true. That, that makes a big difference. I, uh, I, I don't see it. You know, obviously anything can happen week to week. If they play ten times, Florida's winning nine of them. Even mm. though I'm not I don't nine don't think, and a half. I don't think. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think Florida's all that good. But they're 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 beating Vandy. Well, I think.
0: And, and a big part of that you mentioned it's in the swamp this year. Obviously, Billy Napier, Florida teams have struggled on the road these past couple of seasons, which makes you feel a little bit better about them coming into williams Bright Stadium next weekend. But, yeah, being in the Swamp, that certainly leans more in their favor. And I I don't think they'll have a problem with Vandy. Maybe it's close going into, like, the fourth quarter, but I think Florida has enough pieces to pick up the win this weekend. I was being
2: a little contrarian. I, I would definitely pick Florida. Like, you know, know what? There's nothing wrong but, with playing devil's but I, But I, I, I don't go in oh yeah no no issues whatsoever like i i've i've seen i think this florida team has had enough question marks to where you could you reasonably could say ah it's not slam dunk yeah i agree being in the swamp tough base to play i give them the nod and, and i give them the nod pretty comfortably but if they have some struggles some bad moments i wouldn't be surprised here's an interesting stat speaking of florida this comes from uh David Soderquist on Twitter, and uh, or on X, excuse me, and our guy Nick De La Torre from uh, the Florida On3 site has kind of come along and added some context. But Florida has struggled rushing the ball against FBS opponents, which is weird Mm -hmm. because that's kind of their strength offensively, right, kind of taking care of the football. Got two really good backs, including uh, ETN. They're 110th nationally in rushing yards per game against FBS opponents, just 100.3 yards per game.
1: Well, I think they're dealing with what a lot of people are dealing with right now, what we're seeing right down the road here. Offensive line play, it's a struggle. And um, i am we're, we're also, kind of to tie all this together, I feel like we're kind of seeing, too, that what happened in a game last year, there's like very little carryover from year to year, <laughs> even if it's the same team's. Um, some of that is just every game, as Steve Spurrier would say, stands on its own merit. Some of that is you have so much turnover these days as far as rosters go and transfers and all this stuff. And I, I'm still kind of kicking myself because I, I said coming into the year that I, like when I was kind of saying preseason what picks I was going to make, I kind of had this feeling that, so South Carolina loses at Tennessee year one beats Tennessee at home year two and that they were going to lose to Tennessee even after destroying them last year that they were going to lose to Tennessee in Knoxville. Well, Florida, it could be the exact opposite where you beat Florida at home handily. They um, they beat you last year in Florida handily and now Florida comes to Columbia next week. And I, I do think this game sets up pretty well for South Carolina even with everything we've seen in South Carolina's three losses, because I I just if Florida can't run the football, they're going to struggle to score points. The numbers tell you. Oh, South Carolina can't stop the run. I don't think Florida, and we'll we'll obviously get into this next week. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but Florida I don't think has a schematic advantage like Tennessee has. Tennessee's scheme plus their speed at running back made that a very tough matchup for South Carolina because even when you had them bottled up, they were still able to break off long runs. I don't know if Florida has that up front and I don't know if they have that schematically. So coming to to Willie B, I think is a huge difference as well compared to going to Knoxville yep. last week. So I, I think we tend to I think we tend to like look at what we saw the week before and bring that forward to the next game. We tend to look at what we saw last year when the two teams played and bring that forward to to this year. There's very little that you can actually take away in terms of outcome from week to week or year to year because there's so many different variables.
0: Obviously going to keep an eye on Florida this weekend against Vanderbilt, 4 o'clock on the SEC Network. Good slate of games around the conference. Uh, Which one of these sticks out the most to you guys going to be most excited to check out this weekend?
1: Um... So, obviously, we'll watch Florida just because. like, I, I don't yep. think that's ever a game that you you are circling. Nobody ever circled Florida, Vandy, and was like, that's can't miss, <laughs> must watch, got to see it TV. But, you know, I, I think if you're doing your due diligence, you'll watch some of Florida just to get a better idea of what they're going to do. And, scouting obviously, report. yeah, scouting report. And <laughs> you get to see Vandy at the same time. That's a team you play later on. Personally, I'm going outside of the conference at the noon slot. Oklahoma, Texas, both undefeated. It's
0: not completely outside the conference. Well, yeah. yeah. Greg Sanky will be there.
1: Good, good Thank point. You. It uh in one year it it uh won't be outside the conference. So combined ten and zero, combined four and zero in the Big Twelve. That'll be interesting. Um, second TV will probably be Missouri getting exposed by LSU Ooh. at noon, Ooh. calling oh. out Drinkwitz. Um, <laughs> you know Alabama A and M will be may be interesting but I, I actually think Alabama wins that later on in the day I'll tell you the game I'm most interested in seeing other than Braves game one of the division series yeah, of course Kentucky Georgia yeah I actually wish this was in Kentucky because if it was in Kentucky I would I would actually probably maybe pick the upset but being in Athens is tough
0: this is either going to be a four quarter slugfest or George is just finally going to blow somebody yes, that's, out. I don't think it's going to be anything. That's in between. where my head
2: is at. Like they are going to be sweating bullets, possibly even get upset, or they're going to win by four touchdowns or something like that. I really, I have the exact same feeling. I don't know why.
0: I don't know what it is about these past couple of Georgia teams, these past couple of years, they just seem to play up to competition when you bring in, like, a ranked opponent. Mm-hmm. And, like, they shut out Arkansas a couple of years ago. home and didn't let them get past, like, the 50 <laughs> for three and a half quarters. Like, something about bringing in a ranked team yeah. on Saturday night might be a blackout game as well. Like, I just feel like this is finally when Georgia turns the wick up for once.
1: Well, I think we're all trying to figure out, all right, we're now, we're now five games into the season. So we're all kind of like, all right, is Georgia what we're seeing right now, which hasn't really been that impressive. They're still 5-0, don't get me wrong, but sure. we grade them on a on a curve because the expectation mm-hmm. is they just won. Of course. You know, anybody else is sitting there 5-0, and o, they're like, oh yeah, you know, national title. But they've won it two years in a row, so you kind of have extremely high expectations for them. They just have not played that well. They haven't played, I feel like, four quarters of football. They haven't been dominant defensively the way you kind of expect and so we're like, all right, is are they just on a two-year hangover, basically, where they haven't, even though they've been threatened? Sure. They don't feel like they've been threatened yet. Like, I, I don't know. Or, or are we just a little bit off? Like, are they just not quite as good as they have been? And, uh, you know, that opens the window for... For somebody if, if they keep doing what they've been doing, they're gonna get knocked off by somebody in SEC play eventually.
0: So Colin and I talked about this in the nine o'clock hour. If you had to set your final four right now, would Georgia oh. be in it? And would they be number one? I didn't have I had him in it. I didn't have a, I didn't have him at number one. Well, then, then
1: we get into all right, how do you pick the is it <laughs> the bet who's who's the best team, who's done the best, who has the best resume. You can't really you can't really decide at this point because there's so much data left i i have them in yeah i don't know if they're one but then there's an like argument three. you can make an argument though like they're one until they're not
0: that's true they get the benefit of the doubt um but i think i think texas is shown to be a little bit more of a complete team right now michigan's gone out there and dominated everyone the way they're supposed to yep. florida state's obviously looked really good and again it Georgia, I think, is one of the best four teams in the country, but I don't think they're playing the dominant brand of football that maybe we expected them to play there's some through
2: teams weeks. Out, uh, there's some teams out west that we kind of, I think, forget. I mean, Washington, they're really good. Oregon, they're really good. Southern Cal's defense is, oh. I think, all of us could put together a team and score a few points, but probably couldn't stop them, right? They're really good on offense. They're very suspect on defense. I think everybody has some warts.
0: Sure, and I think the Pac-12 is set to capitalize itself once again with a bunch of... One lost teams, it ultimately prevents everybody from maybe
1: getting into the playoffs. Sure, one of those teams has got to get in. I feel like, yeah, like they think they're, but I mean, dude, you've got. I mean, Ohio State is just quietly sitting there at number four. <laughs> but even undefeated they're not well. like
0: playing up to the standard that I think we hold Ohio State to. They're winning, but yeah. it's not like dominant wins like we usually see them have.
1: the The decider would be which of these teams, be it Georgia, Ohio State. You know, I mean, Oklahoma has got a chance to completely disrupt things. And nobody's you know, this talking week.
0: about Oklahoma. Everybody's talking about Texas. They're flying under the radar. Dylan yeah, so Gabriel having a great season so far.
1: That, you know, 15 touchdowns, two picks so far. That that will be interesting to see what happens there. But, yeah, we're, we're going to start to find out a lot this weekend, I think.
0: Talk plenty more about the matchups coming up this weekend, but I saw something yesterday that was a nice pleasant surprise. A certain Gamecock potentially jumping himself in the first-round conversation. At that coming up, you're listening to the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs on a Wednesday here on the game. He's
2: going to throw it. It's a fake, and he's got Leggett. Left side, caught to 50. Xavier on his feet
0: at the 40, and out of bounds at the Tennessee sideline. How do you let Xavier (laughs) Leggett open on a fake punt? Tennessee, can you read? Can you see? He leads the nation. That's 32 yards, and all Kai Kroger does is throw completions. Welcome back in Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. Ty Ellis on the call on Saturday night for the Gamecocks Radio Network. Kai Kroger to Xavier Legat on one of the few highlights, unfortunately, for the Gamecocks of that fake punt going for 32 yards. And I play that because yesterday, Pro Football Focus put out its latest mock draft projections for next spring's NFL draft. Xavier Legat making his way into the first round as pick number 32, And you look at his overall scores from Pro Football Focus through five games this year, averaging 70.58. Best performance in week number one against North Carolina at 85.4. His worst performance was actually this past weekend against Tennessee at 56.2. When you talk about PFF grades, if you're above 70, doing pretty good. And Xavier Leggett consistently performing well this season by their standards.
1: Yeah, he's been awesome. And um, I thought that was an interesting question posed by Todd. How do you allow him to get that? Open well, well for the rest of the night. They did not. Well, for one, I think uh, beautiful design by Pete Limbo on that. That's something they had in dating back to last year mm-hmm. against Tennessee that they had seen, they liked, and you know, two, nobody's necessarily expecting you to dial it back, you know, dial it up, backed up on your own goal line, and also it was, it was, it helps that Leggett is a gunner on your punt team running down there every play anyway. So yeah, it's, it's not
0: odd to see him out there. It, it
1: doesn't raise red flags to see 17 out there. And then they actually put in, if you're a defender, you would call it a pick. If you're an offensive guy, you would call it a rub. <laughs> um, they basically ran a wheel route on a punt with a rub play from the, uh, the outside, quote, receiver for South Carolina with Leggett starting out inside. I think that was maybe... Kilgore? It was Kilgore. Yeah, so that thing was very well designed. And then just the fact you have a punter that you trust to throw the ball that far down the field in that situation. More, more If more teams had punters that could throw, more teams should honestly do that. Like I can't tell you how many times if you really watch on punts how often the gunner just kind of gets a free release down the field. If you had the guts to, to dial it up more, sure. more teams could hit that. That's, that's why teams don't. They don't have the guts
2: to call it, frankly.
1: And you don't have a quarterback who, or a punter who is a quarterback. Yeah.
2: Still perfect. And Shane Beamer pointed out that, uh, actually, West that Kilgore, I mean, it was an option to throw him that ball if, if Xavier Laguette, uh, was covered, which he was not really covered at all. But, I mean, he, and he's been an absolute terror as a punt gunner. I mean, he, he's getting down the field, um, Making things happen. I I think he got down there so fast, and I think he missed a tackle technically as a punt gunner. I think it was in that game, but he got a piece of the guy and slowed him down, and so the other guys were able to clean it up. But He's been flying down there all year. But, I mean, that illustrates, though, you know, his value to NFL teams. If you follow Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, you know, he he sent out something on social media the other day that was a clip of a guy who was a wide receiver who had bought into special teams and had been had been able to hang around the league for a long time, in part because of his willingness to play special teams and how adept he was at it. And when you look at Leggett, he's a guy that's now put on tape that he's willing to do that. He's going to get great reviews from Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo and Luke Day and everybody in the in the in the uh, program they're all going to, Justin Step. they're all going to talk about his work ethic, his willingness to do all those different things.
0: Absolutely. And coming into the season, we obviously, a lot of people talking about, um, you know, Juice Wells and his potential to be one of those higher drafted wide receivers. Obviously, he's not gotten to play a whole lot this year. So, Xavier able to get, you know, stepping into the role of wide receiver number one and going to this past weekend was obviously leading the NCAA in overall receiving yards, only had 50 on the day against Tennessee, so falling back down that list a little bit, but yeah, uh, he's made the most of his situation so far, and if he continues to play at this clip, uh, should get his name called pretty early in the spring next year.
1: Well, NFL teams obviously want guys that are tall, 220 pounds, can run, can make plays on 50-50 balls, can you know be a run-after-the-catch guy, can play on special teams, but they also want workers, and they want guys that they don't have to worry about that aspect. Hey, are you, am I going to have to worry about... Hey, where is this guy? Why you know? Why is he not in the building? Why is he the first to leave? All those things. If you're going to invest in a high draft pick, I think all those things absolutely matter. And just having some versatility and and being like, all right, you only have limited spots in the NFL, so who can play multiple roles? And I, I think Leggett is that guy. So if he can keep it keep it going, certainly I'll I'll be very curious to see where he lands. You know, I, I think conservatively you're talking top three rounds. You know, getting into the first round itself, it's a whole other animal. And you're talking about just, I mean, just the nitpicking when it comes to, as a guy, a first-rounder versus second-rounder. You know, they're they're going to kind of pick you apart as far as that goes. But I, I'm happy for him. He's obviously worked his tail off to get there. And, you know, let's let's talk about the fact he's stepped up when he's absolutely had to. And, um, you know, it's just been very impressive to watch. We'll see if he can keep it going the rest of the way. I I certainly think he can, but also he would get some help if some other receivers could kind of take a little bit of that pressure off of him as well.
0: Well, and that's a big thing to, you know, people are talking about for this bye week, for South Carolina, and Shane Beamer even mentioned it, you know, Getting other receivers to step up, and we've well, obviously seen flashes, you know, from Ameka Blake, from Luke Doty, Tyshawn Russell, uh, get another catch on Saturday night. Like we see the potential in these guys to take that next step. What they're able to do in these this week off, we don't know. We certainly would like, as long as Juice Wells is out, and not able to play, somebody else to really get a solid foundation as a number two guy on this offense. We just have not quite seen that as of yet.
1: Who is South Carolina's second? leading receiver in terms of receptions. If I ask you if you if you've already looked it up, don't say, but if if you okay. haven't, what what would y'all guess just based on what we've seen?
0: If I haven't, I'd probably say Trey Knox.
2: Yeah, I was
1: thinking Trey too. Um, uh never mind y'all, completely ruined my point. Uh-oh. It was Trey Knox. I, I uh. thought it would be a little <laughs> bit like
0: I would have maybe guessed Omega Blake too. He was the leading receiver against Georgia.
1: Yeah, and I this to be clear, we're talking Actually, you know what? We're talking receptions and yards. So, yeah, Trey Knox was 17. Third on the team, D.K. Joyner with 14. Wow. So, um, those
0: kind of go a little bit unnoticed because they're so quick. You know, dump off screens, that kind of stuff. Like, you don't always think of those necessarily as receptions, but shows up in the stat book, obviously.
1: Yeah, it does. And I I thought Trey kind of quietly, because South Carolina lost the game, Mm -hmm. it got maybe missed a little bit. Trey quietly had a had one of his more productive games against Tennessee, which, you know, I think was was good to see. So Leggett right now, thirty two catches, six hundred and six yards, three touchdowns, including a long of seventy six, eighteen point nine um yards per catch. So uh but yeah you kinda I, I would like to see a healthy A B start to take over as this year progresses.
2: Who's four and five? On that list, if you have it.
1: Four is AB, 11 for 133. Five is not... That's through only really two complete games for AB. Yeah, but, I mean, dude, he was like...
0: He he was was on his way. He was humming for the first week and a half. and You know, gets hurt against Furman, obviously.
1: And I, I had even, until you said it, I had, like, completely forgotten the long catch and run against Tennessee. He yep. did have the one. It was on a screen, kind of misdirection screen, where they rolled it one way and threw back the other. Making, that was a beautiful play. Making a miss tackles. Yeah, I mean, and he can do that for yep. you. Um, you know, so I, I think that's been another probably underrated loss that, that he's been either out or not 100%. Another great takeaway from that. Did y'all see how fast Garzulo was running down the field trying to find somebody to hit? Oh yeah, He's my man motoring. was hauling. That's what you love to see. Um, and actually, Chris Doty and Blake are tied um, for fifth, both with ten catches.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you can't have your a guy that has not has only played as good of a start as he had. Mm-hmm. He's only really played in a couple games. You can't have that guy be like your next leading receiver out of the receiver room,
0: right? Absolutely, and we certainly hope to see that wide receiving come along over these next couple weeks was to get back in action against Florida next week. Coming up, though, Chris is fired up. <laughs> he has an opinion. He wants to let these people hear it. To, quote, to paraphrase, Mr. Costanza, I've got a lot of problems. You're going to hear about it. That's coming up. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs on a Wednesday here on the game. Welcome back in. Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs. Tyler, West and Chris. Along with you in the Hernan Chevrolet Studios, we all know Chris to be very mild-mannered, very level-headed. But he informed me before the show today he's got something on his mind he wants to rant about. Chris,
2: rant was the floor probably is yours. that was probably a strong word. Oh, I'm hyping it up for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> but <laughs> did you just overhype? Now I feel like Chris no, has a I lot I, to live up to. I think hair. I literally used the word rant in a in a text message to Tyler. When you use the Tyler.
0: word rant, yeah. it has certain connotations to it. Can can we, we, what is on your mind? What
1: is bugging you today can, that you feel the need to get can off Can we play some background music for this? I feel like we need, like, some some and m or something to... Oh. Something
2: kind of dramatic. A little yeah. lose yourself. Yeah. Are we allowed to play that? I don't know. We'll play the instrumental. There you go. Um, Here's what's on my mind, guys. And if you've said this, I love you, and I... But? I, I'm honest. No. There's no but. Well, but I don't agree. Yeah, I love you, and you're entitled to that opinion. And if you disagree with me, which you might, drop us a note. Firehouse subs text line eight zero three four four sixty one hundred. Here's what I want to bring up: two words. Win anyway. Have y'all have y'all seen this this season? Have y'all heard it, Wes? Have you seen it? A little bit on social media. Have you seen it on the insiders forum? Tyler may have seen it in the firehouse subs text line or on the phones. Win anyway. The notion that, and this was popularized, right? 2011, Ray Tanner, great baseball coach at South Carolina, now the AD. Their second trip to Omaha, second straight, second of three consecutive trips. Ultimately, their second national title. And that team dealt with some things. They dealt with injuries. They dealt with, uh, as usual in SEC baseball, An extremely difficult schedule. They dealt with Clemson. Um, They dealt with some crazy situations in games that happened to them that they were frequently able to get out of. And yet they won, and they won anyway. And so Ray Tanner utilized this phrase, win anyway. And and it was not the first time he'd used it. He used it a lot uh, throughout his career. But this kind of popularized it. It put it in the Gamecock fan lexicon. It was canonized. It's in the game kite dictionary, win anyway. And so now, Wes, every time um, we've seen a team face adversity, and this could be baseball, basketball, women's basketball, football, and they've faced some type of perceived adversity and won a game, it's, hey, won't win anyway. They won anyway. But I think what that did actually is it set this precedent, kind of like th- those teams were unprecedented. That is not normal in college athletics, in case anybody didn't know, to go to three straight College World Series. That is so, so hard. You do not It's hard to get there once, twice. They made it three times. They won twice. Uh, they made it the championship series a third time. And that unprecedented run kind of set this precedent to where now people say, well, hey, you remember that team, you know, 10 years ago? They had adversity, and they just won anyway. And I think it's almost become a little bit dangerous because when we see teams sometimes here, or maybe you have a pro team that you go for, but when we see teams here that have gone through some struggles or injuries, whatever, tough schedule, there is, I think, a propensity for some people to kind of just say, just win anyway. Look at that team. Look at what they did and you just say win anyway. I think there's a there's a line between excuses but there's there's also just saying win anyway and kind of ignoring the reality of where things are.
1: Does that make sense? Am I off base? No, I mean yeah, I think I think win anyway is a rallying cry for a team and for a coach. But ultimately those were your starters for a reason. So I think what South Carolina has faced with is the lack of depth gets exposed yeah. when you have injuries, particularly to some of your better players. And so it is hard in this league, and it's not an excuse, but if we didn't talk about why South Carolina won or lost the games, then we wouldn't have a radio show because we just That's sit right. here in silence. So it's That's like right. – um, I mean I put it, I kind of align it with people that get upset with what Beamer says in his post game press conferences. I'm like well, what what is he supposed to say? Yeah. He's telling you why they lost the you know as a broken record. W- what is he supposed to say? He's telling you why if you lose a game there's really I've learned there's nothing a coach can say that yes. actually will be accepted <laughs> by by some people because you lost a game. Some people want to hear I'm terrible.
2: I did the worst coaching job ever, and I'm considering firing everybody.
1: Or they think they want to hear they that. They think they, they want then to hear that. If you hear that, what are you? Gonna, you're gonna be like, "This guy's what the." the-
2: <laughs> B- Biff Puggy from Charlotte has his press conference after their game against, I think, Georgia State. Comes in the next week before they're about to play Florida for his like you know weekly preview press conference, and people are like, "All right, so what changes are you making?" He's like, oh, "I I didn't really mean I was firing all the staff." I just meant we had to look at things. You know, so yeah. even even when they say that.
1: Yeah, I I don't I don't know what the the press conferences, post-game Tuesday thing, you know, that when you're winning, you can say whatever you want yes. and it's cool. When you're not winning, nothing you can say can really make anyone happy. I feel like cuz yeah. even if you say even if you say, "Well, we need to do this, this and this moving forward." Dennis, well, why don't you do that before? <laughs> yeah. What are you waiting on? Right, but, right. And also, I I do have a little bit of a pet peeve of mine here: the Mario Anderson discussion. So, I mean, I agree, Mario Anderson has earned his touches moving forward, but you also are not going to play the same running back for the entirety of a football game either. Like you, you're going to rotate. Yeah. So this thing of well, why is this guy in? Why is that guy in? Um, and, and I'm not talking about the people who specifically have said well, why is your smallest running back in on third one that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about when there's any running back in the game the Mario Anderson yeah. it's well, why is there a different well you you have to rotate guys playing 70 I, I I did think it was pretty telling and I had these pulled up yesterday I don't have them in front of me right now but I was we didn't get to it the fact Tennessee so so James Pierce Tennessee's excellent pass rusher not even a starter for them. He didn't. He's not a starter. He played. He played thirty something snaps in the game. The guy who started in front of him played thirty something snaps. They they rotated. I think about twelve deep on their front four, and you know, and South Carolina rotates fairly deep on their front four as well. But I don't know particularly at kind of edge if. I mean, Carolina doesn't have a guy coming off the bench to get nine pressures. Right. So I, I think we've kind of... You look at South Carolina kind of wearing down as the game went on. I think they had given up 80-something yards rushing at at the half, which, you know, is that's fine against Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, the number ends up being 260 or whatever, 268, I think. But, um, you know, depth... Is something that ultimately comes back to recruiting, development. You have to be at a place long enough to build depth, I think. And that's when, hey, you know, you can lose a couple of guys and probably be fine. But to take Chris's normal phrase, when your margin for error is that tiny, then, um, you know, it, it hurts you when you lose guys.
0: All right, that is Chris's rant. We'll let him cool down and catch his breath during the break. Uh, Mob postseason underway. A couple Gamecocks in some key games yesterday. We'll highlight some of those coming up. You're listening to Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the Game. Three,
1: two in the hole. Boom, is over there. He will flip to first, and the Phillies will win Game One. For-
0: Welcome back in Gamecock Central Takeover Hour presented by Firehouse Subs here on the game. That was the call last night on ESPN. Phillies picking up the 4 1 win over the Marlins in the NL wildcard game number one. Of course, the winner of that series set to take on the Braves in uh, game one of the NLDS this upcoming Saturday. But yesterday was day one of the MLB postseason. Eight teams in action, two from the AL, or uh, four from the AL, four from the NL. A couple Gamecocks making some pretty significant impacts on day number one of MLB's postseason. You, of course, have um, with the uh, Texas Rangers. You have Jordan Montgomery went out there for seven innings, six hits, zero earned runs, five strikeouts, and no walks in route to the uh, Rangers' four to nothing victory over the Rays last night in a less than full drop can of field.
1: Man, that that's sad. the The Rays are one of the most well run organizations in in terms of getting more out of less as far as the amount of money they spend than any you know throughout sports. Sure. And you look at the atmosphere in Philadelphia, you know, the ap- atmosphere in Minnesota, and then compare it to that, it, I mean, it's well, it's, it's like, just sad. It's like playing baseball in an airplane hangar. Yeah, it's, it's not, not fun, not cool. And then Tampa was playing. They play defense like I'm used to seeing in the City of Columbia, Beer League, Sunday <laughs> softball, co-ed um, league that I play in. You're like, not- they're out there throwing the ball around. <laughs> You're not going to win too many postseason games with four errors. Yeah, no that that was ugly, man. Right off the the jump there, but Jordan Montgomery, awesome. You don't even see, you don't see pitchers go seven innings, especially in the playoffs anymore. He does. He was fantastic. He was, you know, getting off the mound, making diving catches over there. He made another pretty, I would say, underrated play where he fielded a bunt and fired to first base, um, you know, to get the runner. That that was just what the Rangers needed because they've I mean they've had some really big injuries to their pitching staff mm-hmm. and uh, you know so that that kind of rolled him into the number one slot. He stepped up and now Tampa, which at one point this year was the best team in baseball, you know now they're they're facing elimination. Uh,
0: Whit Merrifield got one at bat for the uh, Jays yesterday. Goes zero for one out there in a pinch hit situation late in that game as they fall to Minnesota three to one on the NL side of things. Christian Walker, Christian a very Walker. good game for the Diamondbacks going three or four with a couple of key RBIs to help lead the Diamondbacks to that six to three win over Milwaukee in game one of uh, that in wild card.
1: So y'all know how they have stat casts that can show you anything and everything. Talking to Tommy Moody outside, he said that Christian Walker's laser off the wall was the hardest hit ball of any of the four games yesterday. I believe it. It was a beam. And, uh, Man, I don't know if Walker gets enough credit for just how good he has been. He has 33 home runs this year, 258 average, 103 RBIs. Um I mean, he he's been huge for them. They had a solid season, not a great season, but now, you know, they're in a position here to um to go steal this thing from the Brewers.
0: About the uh about the Twins ending their long Long drought, eighteen years since their last playoff victory. With that three-one uh, win yesterday over the Blue Jays,
1: that's all. It's a long time. I don't even know how that's possible, <laughs> uh, especially in baseball. You know, it's that's a game where the best team doesn't sure doesn't always win. Like a lot, a lot of the times, the best team doesn't win. Like it, it just it seems statistically certainly improbable. Obviously, it wasn't impossible, but very improbable. Good for them, man. That was a, that was a great atmosphere. Like I said earlier. They get the win there, and now you got you got four teams today who have been playing for 162 games, and now uh, will have their season come down to to nine innings.
0: Yeah, so uh, all four of those teams, all four of the games from yesterday, the exact same start times today. Have the Rangers and Rays at three o'clock on ABC, Blue Jays and Twins 4:30 on ESPN, Diamondbacks Brewers seven o'clock on ESPN two, and then the Marlins and Phillies round things out once again at eight o'clock. On ESPN, and again, the winner of that series uh, heading on to take on the Braves this upcoming weekend in Game One of the NLDS.
2: Who do y'all? Who do y'all want for
1: the Braves? I want to get y'all's take on that. I mean, i kind of, I kind of want to just play the Marlins and 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 win it because <laughs> as as great of a story as that would be to beat the Phillies, there the Phillies may actually be the third best team in the entire thing
0: yeah and obviously we saw the phillies take care of the braves last year in a pretty similar situation so i think you match up better with the marlins would you love to beat the phillies and say that you got one over on them compared to last year sure but i'd rather i take the little bit easier option with the marlins personally five
1: game five game series are just scary yeah if it was seven i really i think and again the braves with the pitching it's a
0: little little iffy just like last year like yeah, I'd, r- I'd rather take the the easy way out with the not the easy way out but the easier way easier. out with the
1: Marlins. Yeah, agreed. And I I think it's going to be very tough for the Marlins to win. Um I I'll, I'll also I had this thought so game 1 for the Braves they they have to win game 1. Of course. Because the the weird thing about another team playing kind of a two or three game set before they get to you is your number one, you can still pitch your number one if you're the Braves in Game One, obviously. Yep. Well, but then as as you get into like Game Two, and this year Game One is on a Saturday, Game Two is on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So the by the time it gets back around, they can actually pitch Wheeler potentially Game Two. Right. So it doesn't really delay, you know, this whole hey you had to play a series, so that messes up your pitching. It does, but not to the extent you might think.
0: Right, absolutely. So again, we'll see the Braves in action on Saturday against either the the Mariners, the Marlins or the Phillies, and uh, certainly excited to see what the Gamecocks can continue to do through the postseason as well. That'll do it for today's edition of the Gamecocks Central Takeover Hour, presented by Firehouse Subs. Halftime show with myself and Elijah coming up next right here on The Game